Okay, so for today's episode of Forward, we have a special guest, Luke Starbuck. He's the GM of Campfire Labs, a content marketing agency. Um, we're so excited to have you, Luke. Thanks for joining. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm really excited to be chatting with you both today. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, having you on the podcast, I think is great, especially right now, because content, especially engaging content, as we've talked about in the past few episodes, is really top of mind for B2B um, marketers. They're, you know, realizing that they have to fight through the noise because their prospects are even more busy, but also what's going to, you know, really speak to them as a person. And we there's definitely that feeling that we need to market to people like what they are, they're humans, right? And so we need to have the storytelling or you know the, the content that's really gonna be insightful to them. So um, I, we like starting the podcast with you know origin stories just so we can get to know you. So maybe if you give us a little bit of your background, how you started Campfire Labs, a part of that. Um, what you do and a little bit about your clients. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a quick snapshot, I started my, my career a long while ago in design and media um, and worked a lot in advertising back then as well. Uh, but soon enough, I ended up uh, in B2B in particular. I was around software a lot. Uh, I did some product management, but uh, ultimately I ended up working more on the marketing side of those businesses that I was working with. So that's been a bit over a decade now that I've been focused in on B2B marketing. Uh, and I've had roles across product marketing, demand gen, um, and sort of, you know, associated and related uh, fields, especially obviously content marketing, how it relates to all of the above and ended up leading marketing teams at a number of software companies over the last six or seven years. Um, so I've got that, I guess, background of, of feeling a lot of the challenges and also seeing a lot of the evolution as things were changing across the B2B marketing landscape, working with salespeople, um, you know, also especially trying to bring new products to market. Um, and, you know, that has all kinds of interesting and inherent challenges when you're trying to define categories, et cetera, et cetera. So that really made me zero in on, on content and the value of content in terms of positioning a company, you know, a brand, uh, and also a solution to a particular market, um, you know, really treating them like an audience first, and then like prospects second, in a way. Uh, and really, Campfire Labs came about, um, in part from that, basically, we saw uh, my co-founder and I, Michael uh, Thomas, and I saw that the landscape of, of content and how it was being used for B2B marketing was really starting to change. Uh, but also from more, I guess, a meta level, there was a real shift happening in B2B marketing where it was no longer just about uh, focusing in on those funnel stages on sort of nurture paths and, and sort of gating, you know, the MQLs, et cetera, et cetera. There was also actually a, a real sort of shift happening where I think because of products being sometimes less differentiated or potentially very complex, uh, a company was actually having to lead with something that looked a little bit more like a brand. And that I felt was, was quite new and, and really sort of wasn't there when I was, you know, really focused in on um, sort of demand gen starting back in, say, 2012. But these newer entrants into different software categories were really starting to be successful by aligning themselves with the people that they were selling to long before they were proving that they had a product that could solve problems. You know, they were, were aligning at that brand level and in a lot of cases using content to express and position their brand 
uh, not just you know marketing, copywriting, and advertising, and, and the other kinds of things that you might use to try to you know demonstrate um, that you're a good fit uh, for someone uh, in their world, if you will. So we thought about that, and and we saw that changing landscape, and and really thought that there was a big gap uh, in the market. Uh, we sort of tested that out by doing a few content projects uh, for some sort of friends that we had at various companies and found actually that it really did solve some of the challenges that they were facing, uh, where oftentimes they had very successful content production in-house or some other methods that were giving them the eBooks that they needed or, uh, you know, potentially sort of sales collateral combined with um, sort of nurtured content. They had that figured out, uh, but they were really sort of missing a lot of what they wanted to be doing um, more at the top of the funnel, uh, even outside the top of the funnel in terms of that brand alignment, but in mm -hmm. terms of those early engagement touch points as well, they really just weren't finding that, you know, a blog was cutting it, for example, um, especially on the enterprise side of things. Uh, you know, I think everyone now is pretty familiar that your blog doesn't necessarily engage those sort of enterprise buyers. You're having to do a lot more that looks like some kind of hybrid outbound model to engage, um, you know, the people that you're trying to target. Mm -hmm. And so that's how we, we came about things. Um, there's a, an interesting um, sort of parallel story running there that uh, Michael and I had um, worked together on another business uh, previously. And I was more in uh, sort of a, a weekend role. In that case, I had a full-time job at the time, but, but he was very full-time on that business. And we started really talking a lot about um, how we felt about building our careers, uh, each of us, and um, sort of how we were thinking about um, the lives that we wanted to create. And for both of us, part of the life that we wanted to, to see materialize was actually creating something where we could give back to people um, outside of, you know, career mentoring and that kind of thing. We really wanted to be able to do things that we considered to be uh, charitable, I suppose, sort of for, for want of a sort of a better uh, definition. Um, and we, we started talking about challenging the paradigm that those sort of charitable efforts need to come after you've sort of made it yourself or after you've built your thing and made sure that, you know, you're well taken care of for your future. Um, really thinking, does that have to be sequential or can we run that, you know, in parallel? And so an, an underpinning of Campfire Labs is that we have a social impact fund. Um, it's a large shareholder in the business, uh, which means you know, it gets dividends. Uh, we're always really stoked to be able to, to send it money. Uh, and then basically we sort of control its, its focus uh, in terms of its mission being to help um, solve or positively influence sort of large scale challenges that are affecting large amounts of people across the world. Uh, and so in that case, for us at the moment, it's climate change. Um, and we think that that's a, a big challenge to tackle. Um, and certainly we <laughs> focus in the you know, the impact funds efforts in that direction. Um, and I, I'm willing to, to say that, uh, you know, um, without some kind of miracle, we'll probably be focusing in that same direction for, for a while to come. <laughs> yeah, all these uh, so, companies, they'll say like, oh, you know, our mission, we're changing the world. But like part of you actually are really impacting the world at the same time of what you're doing. And I think that is something that probably as a company is just like a, just another just driving force to mm -hmm. provide value and really your efforts are going to something that's even bigger than the company, which is mm -hmm. amazing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think it helps us all, you know, be a little bit extra excited to get out of bed in the morning. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we're, we also, we're lucky to, to work with great uh, clients who I think, you know, often cases really value that we have that sort of additional mission behind what we're doing. Mm -hmm. 
uh, along with obviously creating you know great work and uh, and helping our clients deliver results of course which is goal number one <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, we we were sort of talking a little on um, you know who are the folks sort of that we work with or what's the kind of things we do just by way of the introduction um, we work almost exclusively with b2b software companies um, that's certainly a I guess a niche of sorts, um, and really was just you know came about quite organically because that's really where I focused in my efforts, and also Michael has worked in in that um, sort of zone as well in the past too. Um, and so, what that means is you know it's often companies like Clearbit, for example, or a great client of ours, um, and other folks. I, I'm always hesitant to do that name drop because I find it sort of a little disingenuous. But um, needless to say, you know we're lucky to work with. Uh, great clients who tend to have large content marketing budgets and mm -hmm. uh, where content um, is able to be treated strategically, you know, rather than just a, a tactic and in sort of a random acts of content way. Um, we yeah. get to work with companies that are, are sort of treating it the opposite, who, you know, are in a spot to be able to take a, a longer term view and also in a place where they can set up the, the measurement tooling and everything that really, you know, you want to have in place to see how your investments in content are actually paying off. So how have you found um, during this crazy time that we've all been thrusted into over the last couple of months, how have you, how have you found your clients adapt to that? Um, have there, has there been a shift in the type of content they've been producing or the volume or the, the type of the, the audience building? And also I'm interested, I, I picked up something that you mentioned before that I really liked, treating, um, considering the people that you're marketing to as an audience and not prospects. I really mm -hmm. like that. So like, if you can elaborate on that and then also mm -hmm. um, take us through kind of the, the challenges and the way people are tackling this current situation, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, definitely. Um, we've, we've certainly seen um, some changes in terms of how our clients are thinking about content projects. In particular, there were a couple of projects we had on the docket that related specifically to events that were happening this year. Mm -hmm. oh, and course, so, yeah. you know, whether whether folks use the term cancelled or postponed for events, I think we're all pretty familiar now with the fact that they're not happening uh, for the you know foreseeable future anyway, until we hear otherwise. And so, in some cases, those projects, you know, have literally just been put on hold. Uh, but most of the time, really, it's then to trade for something that is more um, sort of, you know, digital landscape oriented. So it's something that, you know, is a little more sort of compatible with everyone, you know, being at home on their computer or on their cell phone a whole lot of the time in terms of people that you want to be targeting um, with, you know, content and with information. And so we have actually seen some new projects spun up now um, that actually have a particular topic focus specifically on how businesses are handling, you know, this changing mm -hmm. and changed landscape of what they're dealing with at the moment. So, um, yeah, some of our clients have really been very, very, very quick in terms of wanting to actually get messaging out there. We've also been doing a bunch of ghostwriting for a couple of our clients who focus in on sort of workplace communications and that kind of thing. Um, what I'm seeing sort of underpinning that is a real recognition, I think, that... Um, although you'd never do it in content anyway, even from like a sales perspective, people are backing off anything that's like a hard sell or even like mm -hmm. a push towards a close and yeah. really recognizing the fact that, um, you know, that the audience or their prospects um, really sort of are in a spot right now where they may need more genuine help that might mm -hmm. not have like an immediate commercial outcome, but that in often, you know, a case where you've got say a client of ours who's got, 
quite a lot of knowledge about, for example, shifting a workforce into a remote, you know, work setup. Um, that was something that we were helping them publish on, uh, you know, in the last month or two, because it was really just seen that, you know, they were in a spot where they could genuinely help people by providing this, this information. And so in some ways there's more of that sort of like, uh, that's almost feels like the, the, purism kind of purist model of like you know the original content marketing from back in mm -hmm. 08 09 mm -hmm. um, in some ways but applied more to an enterprise landscape which i think is a little unfamiliar in some cases for um you know b2b marketers um of that sort of scale when you're targeting an enterprise audience so i really like being able to work with them on that because obviously we can share some ideas um and also what i'm seeing is our clients are a little more um up for sort of broadening the horizons of what they consider in terms of what they're producing. And so, you know, we're having more discussions around, for example, things like audio formats. Uh, mm -hmm. We're also having discussions around um, more sort of, uh, I guess, engaging but interesting type content formats where it would not just be a lot of words on the page to read, but also some different kinds of, of elements, sort of multimedia elements in a way, mm -hmm. um, so that there's, a little less um, energy needed, I guess, to engage with that content, um, perhaps in recognition of the fact that people probably have even more screen time right now. And so, you know, if you can present something in a bit more of a, like a lean back sort of a style of engagement, mm -hmm. um, you may get some extra, you know, sort of um, eyes and, and ears and, and mind share by presenting content in that kind of way. Well, everyone's probably just tired anyway, right? Yeah, I they've think got their so. kids at home. Yeah, yeah. They've got all of this yeah. you know, weight of the world on their shoulders, and absolutely. And to read you know, a twenty-page thing that's just all text is going to be um, a lot more tiring. I like to. I really like yeah, exactly. you call it like laid, yeah. laid back, you know, consuming the content. That's I like that a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think you know we're seeing good positive shift. The that audience, you know, and prospect sort of idea. Um, I'll touch on just a little more because I think it's an interesting way to think about things. And I bet there are, you know, a bunch of people that hear that and, and feel maybe a little allergic to the idea of thinking about audience because it feels disconnected from a lot of, you know, demand gen goals or measurements mm -hmm. that you might want to have in place. And it, it feels like, oh, you know, there's a brand market that's just run off into the woods with budget and we're never going to see the budget again and they're going to go <laughs> yeah. back with goodness knows what, but it's not going to be useful, right? Um, but I think actually that you can have, uh, you know, really strong results uh, mm -hmm. in the funnel when you think about engaging an audience. And the reason I say that is because, um, you know, there's, there's metrics that show, for example, time on page, you know, is a, a great metric for SEO um, benefits, for example. Um, obviously, time on page is also representative of of the engagement level that you're getting with somebody. But there are a lot of things that you can't measure. And if you're using content as an initial touch point, maybe it's the first time someone's heard about, you know, your business that you're bringing to them. Um, it's one thing to get, you know, the, the page view or, you know, to get sort of the campaign success in terms of a click through or, or something like that in terms of measuring that. But if you take a quick pause and actually think about the unmeasurable things are things like their impression, you know, of mm -hmm. your brand, their impression of, of you as a company, um, you know, whether or not they're going to be more likely to engage with something else that you put in front of them in the future. I think it's just a helpful shortcut if you think about them as audience rather than prospects, because it helps you just temporarily 
disconnect just enough from the measurements you might use every day of the week to think about how to actually up, up the value, I suppose, for them as a reader. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah in that I way, I think it is quite connected. Um, it's, it's not just the brand marketer, you know, um, floating in the for sure. Yeah. For sure. And I guess another way that you could describe it is treating them more like a human, right? Instead Absolutely. of a, 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 yeah. a metric through the funnel or a lead or a prospect. And you know, if you're marketing to an audience, you're marketing to a group of humans and you yourself are a human and you know how you like to be marketed to. And one of the rules that we always like to say is a market like you would like to be marketed to. Absolutely. And, and in a way, um, it, it just is obvious that if you are able to engage with them in a, on a much deeper level, they're more likely the propensity to buy is going to go up. So you are going to get that you know, funnel reward at the end. Um, but it, you might not, depending on how you are using that content throughout your marketing, you might not see kind of the, the MQLs and the leads and stuff. And then there's a, there's a companies that seem to be doing this really well, like the drifts of the world, the gongs mm -hmm. of the world, that have that just loyal audience. Like you see anything online, it's just, mm -hmm. they post it, just people just flock to it. Um, yeah, and it's like, absolutely. that's going to produce some good results. It just, yeah. of course it is. Um, yeah, nice. Yeah. It does. Oh, I was going to say that um, I think also, you know, flipping it back to the marketer who has his dollars or who are planning, like a lot of the times they think an audience is just a list that they fill. It's like cold leads. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, we're just going to mm -hmm. run some email campaigns, very low cost. It's like, well, is that low cost? Like, and also you need like, you know, those people you're going after them. There's like this ingenuine kind of thing that you're mm -hmm. doing to get their attention where if you're putting out content that really supports your brand you're going to attract people that fit that same audience that you would try and buy but they're really gonna the first impression of you is not this one where it feels a bit cheap and mm -hmm. so yeah. i think thinking about your audience as something that you really need to bring into you rather than just building a list and forcing an email um, mm -hmm. down their throat is, is also a good way to shift um, their thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, I would add to that too, that, you know, I've operated in a number of ABM type environments and, uh, you know, you might only get one chance to make that good first impression in those totally. environments. And, you know, if you've only got a, a target list of, of good fit businesses that are in say the hundreds, not even mm -hmm. the thousands or the tens of thousands, you know, you want to, you want to tread carefully in a way that, mm -hmm. and, and really, you know, lead with, with something that's very representative. Um, and also true if you're entering either a new market or if you're entering with a new product where, and I think Drift actually is a great example of that, where they developed a certain level of, of brand alignment by expressing themselves through quality content that engaged truly an audience, you know, before they were all treated sort of like prospects. Um, and that brand alignment then means that audience is, is far better primed to convert on funnel type offers, you know, that they receive. It's also far better primed to engage with new product features, for example, et cetera, et cetera, because you are defining yourself as a software company that is aligned in its thinking, um, you know, to that particular person well before you're trying to just put a product in front of them. And I, I think there's a real value to that for sure. And I've seen the opposite where that brand sort of definition is missing basically. And I've seen how much of a heavy lift it is for sort of down funnel content 
um, to do the hard work of convincing someone sort of that you're a well-aligned company and you're a well-aligned product all at the same time. I've also seen how hard it is for salespeople to try to sell, you know, a product into a new market or a new product into a market um, without some of that sort of background warm-up, you know, that content can provide in terms of aligning the, that prospect with that brand's way of thinking. Well, yeah, it can it be just a... makes everything easier, yeah. right? It kind of just smooths the way, like clears the path for for you when yeah. you want to start, you know, progressing them through the funnel or trying to sell to them. When you have that air cover, um, mm -hmm. whether with the brand alignment and really useful and engaging content, it does it just provides like a much better environment for you to reach the goals that you want and to push them forward. It does, um, yeah, hundred percent. It can definitely be a differentiator if you even have a competitive market because if they're if you're down into a sales process it, it becomes this kind of a you know product differentiation but you're willing to maybe even sacrifice on some of the um you know those features if the brand is really something mm -hmm. some you know that speaks to you you feel like you know it really they it's it's almost like that friend you have on like your side like you're <laughs> you're more likely to just kind of um, be on that like road with them, especially for yeah, startups, absolutely. which I think is key because you're selling them the product, but you're selling them the future with them as well. Mm -hmm. And if they yeah. can see that promise there and, and they like fully understand like your vision and where you're going, they're way more likely to purchase. Yeah. And there's products out there that, you know, you might not have that alignment kind of with the brand, but you end up purchasing them anyway, right? Mm -hmm. But then you're not gonna go around telling it's everyone, telling people, like, yeah. I just bought this, I love it, it's amazing. But yeah. then there's the products where you do have that alignment and then you're giving them the gift of word of mouth mm -hmm. just constantly totally. because you're like, oh, I, yeah. I got drift, I love it. And you know, part of the reason why you love it is because you like the tool, but you also, you just really bought into everything else that they're doing mm -hmm. as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it's, yeah, it just seems to impact everything. It does, it does. And I think in a way it is one method to build real genuine trust. And mm -hmm. you know, that, that's rare, like salespeople do it, you know, and that's a lot of what they do is try to build up that trust. Uh, but it, that's such a heavy lift, you know, trying to build trust just at, at the bottom of the funnel is, um, is really, really tough. And so I think, you know, you can do a lot there to, to help out a sales team uh, and to help out, you know, other content assets, for example, that are sort of a, a bit further way down the funnel uh, to create, you know, that sort of trust building content that you use as, as one of the first touches. So um, I know one of the big things you wanted to get into um, on this podcast was to really learn some practical examples of where <laughs> you've seen some unconventional, like really great content you know, basically do everything that we just said, which we've just mm -hmm. been talking about. Um, so I'd love it if you want to kick it off with with one of those and we can dive into it. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, I want to actually thank you guys for the opportunity to talk about some of these as well, because I know in years gone by, um, as a, you know, a content marketing leader and as a, as a marketing leader, um, it was kind of challenging to find, you know, some of, of these ideas actually. And in a lot of cases, it was only, you know, sort of impromptu discussions at conferences where I actually heard about people doing interesting things. So I think it's really cool that, you know, you guys are, are creating a platform that, you know, these ideas can be shared around. Um, and so the first one 
I think I'll start with actually, I've got a little list here in front of me, but the first one is I find really fascinating because it's actually related to this sort of conference kind of vibe. And obviously at the moment there aren't any happening. And so this is taking what often you may discover um, at a conference, which is real true experts who are more than likely individual contributors, you know, with their um, teams that they work with. And they've been invited in by the conference organizers to really tell the very, very specific and detailed story of how they've done something brand new or have solved a particular challenge in a way that no one else has thought about before. And definitely, I mean, my experience is that, you know, all the Marketo conferences and, and all of the Salesforce conferences that I've gone to is that those sessions are really interesting because it's very, very rare to actually get access to people who are in that position to be able to go so deep on some of these challenges mm -hmm. or so deep into these platforms and really create, you know, incredible solutions. You know, oftentimes it's sort of with a, a word like elegance coming to mind where you are just blown away with how they've been able to think about that. So we took that idea and said, well, um, even, this was interesting because it was, it was pre COVID that we, we had this concept um, that we worked on with our client. But the idea here was, you know, people don't get to go to that many conferences and um, wouldn't it be fantastic if we could actually bring that thinking and actually share it in a content um, piece or in a, a content series, basically. And so we basically kicked that off about two months ago and it's all based on interviewing these experts. Uh, it's what we're calling a solutions series. And so it really takes the, the deep, deep specifics of what each of these people have been able to do um, and it's sharing the methods to the same detail level that you would expect to get at one of those you know 20 30 minute sort of conference presentations basically mm. and so you're really enabling um, and empowering I think the reader to be able to learn you know directly from the person really uh, and we're basically ghostwriting on their behalf and be able to give you know the reader sort of the tools and the specifics such that they could actually replicate what this person has done. Um, and I think that that is really fascinating because it's quite different to a lot of content you see that is engaging, you know, the buyer, it's very aligned mm -hmm. with sort of the, the buyer persona. Um, this is as much a brand alignment sort of a piece as it is also something that's going to be used way down the funnel as well mm -hmm. as sort of a, an extra sort of, you know, a sort of an added in piece of content during a sales cycle uh, where you may have, for example, an individual contributor um, at the potential customers organization who might be like a validator type of persona in that sales deal. Yeah. Or uh, even like post-sale, right? Yeah, you can, right. Exactly. Like for customers yep. and if we're, you know, we're SaaS companies, like we need our renewals, right? So yep, if you're totally. keeping your customer like using the product and in this, like you said, ele elegant way or in a way that's intended or doing cool things, like they're way more likely to renew. So it has yep, multiple 100%. places across your funnel. And, and especially in, in our world where I feel like a lot of content out there, like in, in the technical world of marketing ops, there's a lot of content out there that's very high level. And I, mm -hmm. you hear it a lot. Yeah, people like, complain about it all the time. Like, oh, it's like I lack substance this, yeah. or I went, and like you said, events, even events started to become a sales pitch for something. Yeah. And people are like, I went to this event and I feel like I didn't leave with those practical yeah. learnings. And I, that's why when you said that, I was like, oh, this is, yeah, this is what people really, um, you know, hang on to and want. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I love that idea. And then a lot of the time, because it's, 
you know, so technical and a lot of the marketing leadership might not have that, that technical skill set. They do rely a lot on the ops team to mm-hmm. help make that purchasing decision. So like a lot of the times, like, okay, well, I've got to make content for like the VP of marketing because I'm trying to sell, you know, this tool to marketing and they're going to be the decision maker. But they're going to be leaning heavily on their ops team. And so if you're making the content for them that genuinely is going to help them in their job, then that, again, is kind of like we we're talking about before. It's just clearing the path. It's making all of those conversations easier because they've already got value out of it, like mm-hmm. genuine value out of it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's so common that those related but non-primary personas always get discussed at the quarterly planning meeting. And then, you know, when the rubber hits the road in terms of content development and and things, you know, sort of in the real world get more complex than you expect. And somehow you end up at the end of the quarter and maybe you didn't get to the content piece that you were actually planning to create for the secondary or the tertiary personas, you know, and um, that can happen quarter after quarter because you always want to engage the buyer. You know, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I think, yeah, this is a really great example of, um, you know, a pretty unique way of being able to engage, um, you know, the customers of your organization, basically. And really... so how... Yeah, sorry to adjust. I was going to ask, how, yeah. how specific did you get into the, for the, so for the, in the example, how specific did you get into the actual kind of tool itself or like was it where where did you land in terms of kind of the the details that I'm interested yeah that's a good question yeah I mean um for all intents and purposes uh this is aimed at being um abstracted away from the tool itself that the vendor is selling because it you know we don't want it to feel like a a pitch for Mm -hmm. the, the software platform um that said obviously in some cases you are speaking to unique functionality that only that platform has. And I mean, it makes sense to mention, you know, that and call it out by name. Uh, but the mm-hmm. intent is certainly, you know, coming at it from a, how to sort of solve the challenge, you know, um, getting into all the details that you may need to get into, uh, but trying to empower the reader to do it in a, a couple of different ways. Uh, because, you know, we really wouldn't want this series to read, you know, like it's a, a playbook or a how to use the platform, you know, that right, would exactly, kind of be yeah. a bit of a miss. Yeah. And I should say, this is a series of, of 10 um, pieces. So obviously there's, you know, quite a, a broad coverage in terms of topics as well. Um, and obviously the idea behind that is to try to cover, you know, a lot of the, the most familiar challenges, if you will. Um, I don't know if anyone's familiar with the, the jobs to be done framework but um, there's a bit of that thinking infused into a series like this where Can you explain that that's jobs to be done framework yeah that um in, in a nutshell it's actually one of my favorite uh, reads of the last uh, couple of years um by a guy named uh, clay christensen who um has written a number of different business books and is a, a brilliant thinker um and he did a, a lot of great work in terms of researching how to think about markets and products etc cetera, etc cetera. The jobs to be done is about looking at your customer and uh, rather than looking at what they do um, and how they do it, you want to think about what's the the impetus or the driving force behind sort of why they're doing that. And he has a great example of uh, milkshakes and uh, talking about in the morning, people buying milkshakes on their way to work, uh, basically that they're employing the milkshake to do the job of keeping them entertained while they drive or to do the job of keeping them full and sort of fueled until they hit their 10 a.m. coffee break and a couple of other jobs that he mentions. And 
it's a way of thinking about how a product might be um, competing with uncommon products. So for example, the, the entertainment side, uh, a milkshake could be competing with a phone call um, and the, the fuel side, the milkshake could be competing with a coffee and it, it helps mm -hmm. in terms of product development. But it's also really useful in terms of content marketing because you can think about the, the jobs that um, sort of your target audience are needing to do in their role and it's, it's not so much about how they're doing it or what they're doing. Again, it's, it's really about, you know, where's that coming from uh, and how else might they be thinking about solving some of those challenges. So if you bring that into content like this, then all of a sudden you can, I think, relate to your intended audience in a much more genuine way. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually. Yeah. Um, so should we jump into the next, the next example? I know we're... Yeah, let's, let's do it. I'm... Uh, looking through what's going to catch my interest. Well, I know, you know, with everybody sort of at home and we talked a little bit about maybe a bit of uh, screen fatigue, you know, that everyone is, is having at the moment. I think uh, let's jump into an audio format rather than a written format. We've certainly got a few to choose from here, but um, I think, you know, B2B marketers have been thinking in various ways about audio formats for a while now. Um, you know, podcasts aren't a brand new thing in the B2B marketing landscape by any means. Uh, a quick aside is that I'm noticing more sites who are now enabling something like a click to listen at the top of um, things that they've published, which I think is is really, really smart. They see mm. we have a narrator who literally just, you know, reads what's written on the page there. Mm -hmm. uh, I know I'm using that more and more because I'm, I'm feeling like I just don't have the, the eyeball energy, I guess, to, uh, <laughs> to you know, something yeah. that's interesting. Um, or you're multitasking and, and exactly you're at you home know. and you, you're trying to do all the things at home you know and yeah. work and everything yeah all of the well that's the amazing that's, thing about audio right you can just it, it really is into everything that yeah. you do you can while you're driving while you're doing the dishes while you're cooking dinner exactly while you're getting ready Locking in the, the morning <laughs> dog, yeah totally just yeah. overlays everything and it almost, right. almost too much sometimes i have to be like okay i'm not going to listen to something for a while because you're just getting ear fatigue <laughs> as you well can. as eye fatigue yeah yeah, it's true. Well, I mean, that's a, a simple example of, you know, how you could convert an existing, you know, content piece to audio. But what we're finding with some clients at the moment is they're going um, really into sort of unique audio production and looking at podcasts from a, a bit of a different lens. There's obviously a lot of topics, you know, that lend themselves to like a Q&A format, like what we're doing here at the moment. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, it's, a, it's a great format in terms of, you know, um, sort of interest and listenability and that kind of thing. Um, but some of our clients are looking at um, a podcast as an alternative to, for example, a long form piece of written content where, you know, mm. you might be thinking about writing three or 4,000 words and you may be thinking about putting it into an ebook, or you might be thinking about doing that as a long scroll on a page as well, you know, the SEO benefit in part. Um, that would be, you know, roughly a 10 to 15 minute read probably. And so they're thinking about, well, maybe we do a, like a podcast mini series, for example, of call it five or six episodes and each one is maybe sort of 10 to 15 minutes roughly and the format is actually um, substantially different to what we're doing here and the format really is in a sort of a, a narrative style like a lot of the NPR podcasts that have been popular over the, the years gone by um, and this is definitely a little more involved in terms of its its production and how that actually uh, comes about but it's uniquely engaging in that the listener is being spoken directly to because you have mm -hmm. a narrator and then you basically have that narrator telling a story, introducing the ideas um, that are necessary and sort of relevant to what an interviewee has talked about. 
And then the narrator sort of tees up the sound bites that you use mm -hmm. from the interviewee. And so again, even when the interviewee is talking, it sounds like the interviewee is talking directly to the listener. And there's this very uh, cohesive and sort of, um, you know, well-structured uh, sort of listening journey that someone goes on as they listen through that. And the intention is that it perhaps is a little less fatiguing. It's also obviously highly edited. And so it's really sort of condensed down for, um, you know, sort of for value so that you could get a lot from 10 or 15 minutes or you could listen to the whole series in an hour, hour and a half and, and you know, really ingest like a lot of sort of high quality, valuable information. Um, to produce this, um, you know, if anyone's sort of thinking, yeah, that sounds great, but like how on earth would you actually make that happen? Um, we sort of step it out into um, different phases because it can be quite a lot to sort of mentally take on. Uh, and definitely if you don't have a content production team that's familiar with audio, this is like a whole extra step beyond just, you know, producing in audio. Um, what you would typically do here is you do research, treat it like a written content project, basically at the start, I would say, and try and reuse a lot of the skills that you already have on hand. So you do your research and your sort of topic development and that kind of thing. Um, then oftentimes we're looking for guests that fit the topics that have been figured out. Uh, obviously warm introductions are great, but um, definitely like, Cold outreach can work really well as well. Um, it's not really a hard sell if you're reaching out to, to experts that you think would be a good fit for the topics that you've identified. Um, mm -hmm. And then from there, it's a little bit of an iterative process because you would interview, um, but then it's after the interview that you actually frame up sort of the structure of the narrative. And so there's a little bit less pressure to the interviewing process uh, because you've been able to do some homework and then afterwards, you're able to actually sort of recraft, well, you're crafting the narrative, mm -hmm. basically, um, once you've interviewed someone. Um, definitely use a transcript tool like rev.com, for example, and mm -hmm. pull those sort of audio snippets together along with um, a narrative that you write, and then you're recording the narrative voiceover. So there's a few steps involved there, but it's, it's not necessarily as hard. If you've got people that can write great content, then I think you're actually a little closer to producing narrative podcasts than you might think you are. So it's kind of similar to this, but then we would take this recording and then we would get, we would have, we would build the narrative of like one of us talking, introducing a topic or what you're about to say, then it would cut to, you know, maybe the first unconventional content, you know, idea or something we talked about at the beginning and you kind of take in the best bits throughout the conversation and then structuring that narrative around them. Have you seen that? Have you thought about that um, for video? Because I think for audio, you yeah. can cut it easily without kind of awkward visual like jumps. Like, mm -hmm. how have you thought about that for video podcasts too? I'm being like, just, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually genuinely just wondering about that for <laughs> us now. <laughs> yeah, for so, sure. Um, I know. I, and I'm fascinated too, actually, because I think the video as an addition to the audio certainly does add a, a layer of engagement, you know? So I think that video podcasts, having the video as an option to watch is an absolutely fantastic idea. Um, I don't have a solution top of mind for how to do that, that mm -hmm. narrative. Uh, but I think actually um, what I would experiment with first is actually doing a, a talking head, like looking straight into the camera to do the narration. Uh, and then cut over to the interviewee's clips. Yeah. And so I think I would start there and, and then see, you know, if it feels janky, then maybe there's something additionally you need to do. Um, for example, you may use like talking head 
plus a few overlay slides of like summary points just mm -hmm. every now and then. Um, yeah, so I like that too, yeah. Bit of, yeah, differentiation in terms of what someone's looking at. There's also a little trick that like if anyone really wants to get into this, one of the little tricks in terms of how to script that narration is you often have the narrator summarizing a lot of what the interviewee has said and mm -hmm. you are allowing the interviewee to to basically share like details, like the mm -hmm. really yeah. like tiny little details of something. And so that's where I'm thinking on the video format side of things. It could work to have a, you know, a face sort of looking at the camera doing the narration, but because they'd be summarizing, you'd also jump to an overlay slide or two. And then you could jump over into the interviewee actually talking about kind of the, the micro details and hearing mm -hmm. it in their words, you know, which I think is, is really great. Yeah, one of the things I love about this format is, and I think sometimes you see like the podcast after the podcast because mm -hmm. the pe the people, the interviewee, uh, interviewers like us, we then are able to, when we think about what's being said, we're able to kind of draw conclusions or insights. And when you do have that narration mm -hmm. in between, you can actually you know, really think about that and share that with your audience afterward. Mm -hmm. You know, like you said, the NPR kind of, um, way where you're narrating and you know sending it to what they say but you can really add your opinions and comments on what they said at the same time so I, I love mm -hmm. that idea absolutely yeah we have a client who are more of a consulting team in the software um, industry and uh, they're considering doing that for podcast series that we're working on for them at the moment because obviously it is a unique way of demonstrating your analysis, your expertise, and really sharing how you think, which again, I think is a way of almost creating like it's brand aligned content again, that would create trust because you're giving someone a window into how you think, you know, where your ideas are coming from. Um, mm -hmm. It's not just publishing on a particular topic. And so, yeah, I'm a, a huge fan of that idea actually. So for a podcast, they're notoriously hard to track um, especially when you're uh, tracking actually how many people listen to it across yeah. Apple um, podcasts. And I, I'm interested because for us, it's always been, you know, we're interested in this, the, the statistics, but it's like, we're not putting goals around it really. Mm -hmm. We're not really, you know, trying to get customers out. And I think, um, but then for, you know, B2B SaaS company, where they're trying to get buy-in for a podcast, there's probably going to be some people at that company that are saying, how many leads are you going to get out of this? How much yep. pipeline are you going to get out of this? Yep. And then the answer is going to be, well, for all the stuff we talked about at the beginning, kind of the brand alignment, everything, all that's going to be great, but it's going to be pretty hard for us to actually track. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and how you've you know, worked through that problem for that, for the audio and video medium specifically. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's an important thing to think about. So I'm glad that you mentioned it. Um, I, for all intents and purposes, would, would treat a B2B podcast, especially something like this mini series that we're talking about. Um, maybe it would be a little different if you had an ongoing, you know, every week, you know, sort of we do this thing every single week. So I'll speak specifically to a mini series first, because mm -hmm. we've done a lot of thinking around this is, I would treat it far less like a podcast and far more like um, an ebook, for example, or a microsite. Uh, and in that, mm -hmm. I mean, I would apply a lot of the same thinking in terms of um, methods of, of publishing and distribution um, as I would to, you know, written content or to a downloadable asset as well. So I would then use all of my same 
um, measurement tooling and metrics to gauge success. And okay. you know, oftentimes, if you're thinking like ABM again, you're thinking engagement with a pre-qualified audience. So mm -hmm. I'd be looking at, you know, how do we do it, pulling people in to this content offer and what did it look like? You know, how did they engage with that? It could mean that you're embedding uh, audio players on pages on your own website, for example, mm -hmm. rather than sending them off, you know, to a, a sort of a listening platform like, uh, you know, Apple's or Spotify's or, or whoever else, you know, you mm -hmm. might listen to podcasts on. Um, obviously, there's pros and cons there. Uh, you, you potentially lose a little bit of the convenience in terms of, um, you know, people being able to easily sort of engage from their, their cell phone in particular. I know I listen to a lot of podcasts through Spotify. Um, I think what I would do there is, is I would basically set up the listening page in such a way that I felt confident in measuring somebody's engagement on, uh, say, the first episode to some degree before I fed them or sort of led them off site onto a listening platform. I would still want to offer that convenience, but it would be a, a next step after they've engaged mm -hmm. with the first episode. So even just a, a reveal that's controlled with, you know, some JavaScript, for example, on the page, once someone has, has played that first audio file, something along those lines, uh, again, thinking similarly to, you know, what do you do and how do you measure if someone downloads a PDF, for example, um, yeah, that's a really good point because you don't have if you have, if you're create it's the point the point is you're creating audio content the, the word podcast kind of makes you think well it has to be on apple it has to be mm -hmm. on spot and all of it but actually you're creating audio content and if you do have a lot of measurement goals then maybe it is better to the the pros and cons you know will balance out and it'll be more beneficial if you keep it within your own web properties and keep, keep mm -hmm. it within your normal infrastructure for for tracking and reporting. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's an interesting point actually. There's also, I mean, a, a neat trick in terms of like closing the loop and that is to mention something within the podcast audio that would lead someone back to a unique page on your site. And so then you're mm -hmm. actually measuring engagement returning back. So if it's, you know, check out the, the one page summary or something like that, or like the one page playbook from the person that we just spoke with, you know, just head over to software co slash, you know, podcast slash episode mm -hmm. one or something like that. Um, you know, I would imagine that the, the number of people you actually catch back to that is going to be very, very small, but boy, are they like highly engaged people at that point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if they hit that, I would be, you know, like, their lead score would just like go through the roof. Like, you know, my SDRs <laughs> or my AEs would like see them like, you know, mm -hmm. in the hot list, like the whole thing, you know, if appropriate. Um, because, you know, it's someone that that's really into the content uh, yeah. and is also taking action as well. Yeah, speaking of SDRs and AEs, because one of the things that I thought about when you think about like your mini series, I'll take an example. Um, that can be just a great tool that can help align with sales as well, especially SDRs. I think you can even use it as like a training tool. So like if you are meeting with that team, every time you come up with one of those new videos, you're actually like go into the SDR meeting, talk about it, play it for them, let them listen to it. They're starting to understand those stories and then they can use it in their emails for prospecting. Yeah. So if someone responds to them in a certain way or they have a certain pain point, oh, we have that video. Okay, I'm gonna get that video, I'm gonna send it to them. And also as they're listening to these stories that would appeal to their buyers, you're really like training them naturally on those messages and the viewpoints. And I think 
I've talked about it actually in a podcast we filmed yesterday, but SDRs a lot of time are handed over as MQLs, but there's still a nurturing aspect they have to do, but they're not great at it because like they don't, they're not aligned with the content. They just see a content. Oh, they download this. have no no idea what it was, but um, you're really like training them and then also giving them those tools that they can send to someone that's going to be engaged. And you can track that. You can track your, you know, tools through outreach and sales off, like what's getting engagement there with those videos. You can track that in Marketo nurtures. If you have that automated, like that's something you can track and just treating it like another piece of content. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is such a good point. Um, you know, I don't know many organizations that would say that they've fully solved the uh, sort of the smiley face, the, the U shape of knowledge and expertise from marketing through SDRs to AEs. Mm-hmm. And it's not yeah. the SDRs fault, but oftentimes, you know, it's a, a really sort of unfortunate progression where, like you say, you know, so many prospects need nurturing even after that like MQL type phase. And mm-hmm. they move often from an environment that is is sort of controlled and built by marketers who invest all kinds of time in learning and researching, you know, the prospect and their world. And then they land in this new sort of environment of SDRs, which is all about volume of actions, mm-hmm. um, you know, where sort of goals are quite different. And even though a lot of people would, would say and recognize that, of course, the SDRs being experts in the buyer's world is incredibly important. At the end of the day, unless the SDR is spending their whole Sunday learning about it, the odds are that they're, they're not going to be as knowledgeable as the marketing folks or the, the AEs, you know, and it's yeah. sort of a little out of their control to some degree. You know, it's not, not their fault um, in a way. Totally. Yeah, so, I guess yeah. there's a lot of tools out there that, um, to, to your point, they don't focus on the education piece. They focus on how, like the volume piece, mm-hmm. right? Like the sales, all of these sales tools. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, I think, it, I think I agree with you again. Like it's that's such a good point. I think all content formats can lend themselves to to training the SDRs, especially podcasts, mm-hmm. because like we said, you can, it's just natural. They can listen to it mm-hmm. on their lunch break or whatever, you know. And it's very you know passive. They don't have to. They might have that eye strain or whatever, like we talked about. So they just want to listen to something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think even more so right now, we're trying to lead SDR teams that are in their homes, right? Like that is yeah. so hard to do. And so it, the SDR leaders are like, how do I engage my team? How do I how do I keep them like really wanting to do this job, which you know is really tough, but. Um, you know, we're having these, they're maybe having these Zoom meetings. Okay, let's have someone from marketing on or just part of this call. We're going to watch this new video that marketing created. We're going to listen to this. And this is something that you can use and you teach them how to use it. Like yeah. what a great way to keep your team members engaged during this time. So I'm okay, we've gone over a little bit. Are you okay to carry on for a little bit? I am. Yeah, thanks for okay. checking in. I wanted cool. to mention actually um, back when I was, leading an SDR team as part of my overall uh, marketing um, remit. Something we did every week was actually just an industry headlines meeting. And so mm-hmm. we had everyone come together, all the marketers and the SDRs, and uh, we were physically in an office, which seems very unfamiliar now, but um, we would <laughs> what they, together. What's this office thing you talked about? <laughs> yeah, strange, strange place, yeah. <laughs> More than one desk, would you believe it? In one place. Really? So and people sat yeah. next to each other? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Never Close happened. proximity. Never yeah, believe never it or happened. not. Um, and so we would all sit together and, and everyone had to bring two um, interesting news articles basically from the industry every week and just and talk about them 
And yeah. um, it really was about, you know, trying to help the SDRs in particular feel like they had, you know, that expertise, that industry engagement in a way, you know, that totally. um, they were, you know, importantly a part of this industry now. They weren't just selling to the industry, mm -hmm. you know, they were in and of the industry in a way. Um, there's another content format, um, actually, Charlie sort of mentioned there that, you know, many different content formats can be used for um, training and, and it is such a good point. Um, the other content format that I think is worth um, talking about it a little and sharing is this microsite format, which we've done a few different versions of now for various clients, including um, Drift uh, and Clearbit as well. And it really is a, a interview based format, the way that we execute it. Um, we're doing between 10 and uh, 20 chapters for each of these. Um, and they're presented in different ways. You know, one might be sort of like a multi-chapter, multi-page, like uh, on a website, basically as a standalone. Um, in one case, it was more of like a 10 chapter uh, series that was contained within a blog. And then also uh, in Drift's case, it was a digital book download. Um, these tend to range between like 10 and 35,000 words. So it really depends on how sort of deep you want to get into them. But the, the reason these sprung to mind actually is because um, in a lot of cases, being interview based, uh, they're not focused in on customers or customer stories. They're often focused in on primary buying personas and interviewing mm -hmm. those people, you know, basically interviewing the people who are the best representation of your most ideal buyer, you know, that's out in the market today. And it could be on very particular topics. Um, in the case of Drift, we did 20 interviews and it was basically um, getting people's perspectives on the exact same topics. So you can present this sort of cross section of ideas and perspectives. And you can imagine giving that to a sales development rep or, you know, a junior mm -hmm. AE, for example, and just saying, well, like, you know, here's 10, 15,000 words, um, you know, from your buyer's mouths, basically. Um, this is going to mm -hmm. give you so many different insights in terms of how they think and not just about the product that we sell and offer to them, but also about how they think about their industry, you know, what's changing mm -hmm. in their industry, et cetera, et cetera. And then obviously from an audience engagement perspective, who in that role wouldn't want to read about what other people in the same role yeah. are thinking about. And again, it's that conference like experience in a lot of ways, you know, this is mm -hmm. where I always used to hear these ideas the most um, was, mm -hmm. you know, at a lot of those events. Um, and then in the case of one of the books we did for Clearbit, it was more about those sort of top tier leaders who had achieved incredible results and them actually sharing their playbooks for creating those results. So again, mm. buyer persona focused, uh, but also very specific in terms of what they had done maybe with their team, how they developed their team, how they'd hired or how they'd structured, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, just really giving, um, insights to the point of replicability uh, so that, you know, someone reading it doesn't just walk away and think, oh, that's a smart person, you know, like good for them. They walk away thinking I could do that. You know, that, mm -hmm. that literally is something that I could plan to do next quarter. And I've got, mm -hmm. um, you know, enough information from what I just read in 3,500 or 4,000 words that I, I'd feel confident, you know, about actually. Yeah. And one of the things that you mentioned was it's really hard to kind of like build that trust, you know, for sales and, 
even on the marketing side. And I think what some of those stories do, especially as you're highlighting a person's story from a training perspective is you're really then having the SDR or the AE really think of not only is this person a prospect that you're, we're talking about, there's a person behind that. And so when they're hearing those stories and, and getting used to like, okay, there's actually a person who's making these decisions when they're, you know, emailing, calling, talking to someone who's a new prospect, they then know, oh, this is a person also, you know, mm -hmm. maybe they're more interested in what their background is. They'll talk to them about that and try and relate that back to what they're trying to do. They're really going to think about the prospects, you know, as a person first and saying it a lot, mm -hmm. but that'll really help them at doing what they do and building that trust. Um, and you can totally tell the difference between a salesperson mm -hmm. that does that versus one who doesn't. And that's going to be yeah. your, their way in. Right. So yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I think what yeah. I love about all of this is coming from an ops world. I love kind of efficiency. And what I'm hearing from a lot of this stuff is that we're not, you're not just creating content, right? Like, your yes the goal is to deliver a piece of content but at the same time you're learning about your buyer because you're interviewing them you're getting all mm -hmm. of this amazing information that you as a marketer and the content you're going to leverage that again in the future mm -hmm. you're then going to get that information and pass it over to sales they're going to be able to be better and then you're getting you know, more more usage out of all of this time you're putting into this content um you're getting more impactful content out of it because it's everyone wants to keep up with the joneses everyone's like trying to know what everyone else is doing so mm -hmm. they you've got that that aspect covered and you've just got it's just this yes it's content i think so many so many people think of content is just like such a simple not a simple thing but just like have just like one kind of doing it like i want yeah. to generate leads yeah. but this you've got this breadth of value this stemming out of just just the, like the creation process and then the asset delivery mm -hmm. that it's just so much more holistic and, and it, all that time you're putting into it is just you know, the values have magnified over and over and over again. It's just, it's just, yeah, I, I really like that approach. Yeah, that's really well said. It certainly has even broken my mental models of how to think about it, which is kind of funny. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I did this for years and years, but it's only now that, you know, I, I get to get so deep into these projects that um, we start to see it. And I, I sort of jokingly say to the team here, it, it's sort of like this, this idea of like funnel defying content, like it's it's content you can't sort of put in a pigeonhole. You know, you can't mm -hmm. say this is a middle of funnel asset and that's all it is, is because depending on how you use it, uh, you know, it, it could be really applicable at, at various points of the, the buyer's journey. And that, yeah, that's another another thing. Yeah, another way you're getting more value out of it, right? Mm -hmm. It's not, I'm, I'm just gonna stick this at the top of the funnel and that's it. You know, you're using it top, middle, salespeople. I mean, really, like they're, customers, yeah, like really, customers like, do we have like top, middle, end of funnel these days? Like, like right. you said, yeah. like your no. your brand, like it actually does need to act like a salesperson and build trust because, hey, that person is in their sales cycle already before they even mm. fill out a form on your site, right? So that's yeah. why we have to bring that up further because they're already buying. They're already mm -hmm. trying to figure. The salesperson at that point is your brand, mm -hmm. and so you you know, that's why this is important. Um, that's the big shift. I think that's happened. Coming from the content yeah. world, how do you think about the traditional funnel and MQL? What's your, what's your thoughts around all of that? Yeah, it's, it's, hotly, a, hotly it's a good question. Right <laughs> yeah. I mean, for, for years, you know, MQL was, was the number that, you know, I checked almost on a daily basis in some cases. 
Um, I, I think I am one of those, you know, modern heretics uh, these days where I, I would say, you know, I, I sort of push the funnel over onto its side and, and look at it, you know, like more of a sideways sort of side on triangle there. And I, I really think that marketing, sales development, market development, and uh, sort of sales executives are all working on, you know, audience and prospects and deals the whole way through, you know, from, from start to finish. Um, and I think that that collaborative view of, um, you know, that, that buyer's journey from learning about a, a company and its solutions and then through to making a purchase and then out the other side to becoming, you know, a customer and then an advocate, which if anyone's seen the bow tie style of funnel graphic, then that's kind of what I subscribe to. Um, I think that that's a good fundamental way to think about it. It introduces all kinds of challenges from like a marketing leadership and reporting perspective, which I have experienced firsthand. And so I think it's a little trite to just say, well, everyone needs to collaborate, <laughs> you know, because it's really is, it's easy said, uh, but difficult to measure in a lot of ways. And, uh, and so I think that comes down to then, you know, really needing more um, discipline and potentially tooling around um, more micro measurements and then being able to build a holistic picture of, of results by looking at those micro measurements, but, but also actually probably doing some um, like human analysis across that data totally. as well. You know, like you've got to look at what happened here when, you know, SDRs engage with this, you know, subset of our prospect sort of base, um, you know, who had been exposed to, you know, marketing assets and, you know, content distribution across the same timeline or, you know, four weeks in advance, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you're not necessarily going to find tooling that answers all of those questions perfectly. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you're going to have yeah, to have some, about that a lot. <laughs> some analysis. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And I mean, then obviously front-ending that, you've got to have some good coordination and, and careful planning as well. Um, and that, you know, can present its challenges as well. You know, if, if you're not just targeting NQLs as a goal, you may need to talk much more frequently with, especially I think, you know, like SDR leadership or, or something, you know, that's in that sort of human touch, but early human touch type um, position if you're selling you know enterprise solutions especially uh, but also maybe engaging a little more with sales executives too um, you know because they're going to have a, a part to play as well when you're actually planning out these things so so if you had to so if you were um, you know, back working in-house and for a b2b SaaS company and you're looking at kind of how to measure your content and you were about to put more dollars into you know an agency like yours to mm -hmm. put out some really great content what advice would you give them or what That's, advice would you give yeah. yourself it's a it's a really good question um i think if it was me um you know back in that role i think fundamentally i'd be looking for um a real i mean it's always said but but a undeniably strong bond between revenue leadership, you know, however it's divided up, whether it's a single person, you know, two people, multiple people, different companies have their different ways of doing that. But I think it starts from that point. Um, and then, you know, more specifically, uh, I may be in an ABM environment, I may not be, uh, but I would be looking at <clears throat> being able to report on um, engagement of campaigns and um, doing you know, something like a, a sophisticated multi-touch attribution so that I can look at engagement and, and sort of influence of different groups, you know, that may have been targeted by particular content campaigns and how they progress 
down funnel, you know, whether there are any hallmark changes in terms of velocity, uh, you know, conversion rates, um, deal value, you know, close rates, like et cetera, et cetera, basically. And that's what I was doing, you know, a couple of years ago because we were in an ABM environment, which does make it a little more straightforward, I think in some ways um, to do that kind of measurement. But ultimately, uh, you know, uh, I kind of would say the engagement up in the top of the funnel, just it just doesn't even matter unless it turns into customers uh, at the end mm -hmm. of the day. So, yeah, it's kind of measure micro, then back out to macro, then back into micro and, you know, repeat a hundred times and hopefully automate a bunch of that. So you don't mm -hmm. yeah. go crazy. Well, obviously <laughs> a key part of being able to report on things for a lot of companies is, is gating everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because they have that traditional model where we send them to a form, we get their information, yeah. we nurture, we pass them to sales, they do their thing, you know, hopefully it turns into pipeline and revenue. Mm -hmm. So what's your philosophy on that? And I know it's obviously probably quite nuanced and it's contextual and, and all of that, and it really will depend. But what is your, what is your general philosophy? I think I would say these days, my philosophy is that gating may still have a time and a place, but I think it would be in the minority these days. Mm -hmm. I think in most common circumstances, um, ungated content pieces, content assets, content series uh, can perform very, very strongly. And mm -hmm. um, I think generally now, if I see content gating, I assume it's... Um, well, how do I say this delicately without being offensive? Um, <laughs> conventional marketing leadership philosophy that may be imparted potentially from a CEO who's over controlling or maybe from a marketing leader who, you know, isn't keeping up. Um, or it may be, you know, those circumstances where it just makes sense. If you've got 50,000 potential customers, you may want to gate, you know, you may have a, a filtering challenge and you actually want to filter for engagement that's that strong. Um, but a lot of the marketers that I know and hang out with have the, the opposite challenge where they're really, you know, doing such a great job of defining their target audience, their target market, and they're doing such a great job of actually targeting them with content offers and, and being able to reach the right people uh, that, you know, it's more like... Um, sort of content gating has sort of taken a backseat to um, audience gating, I think is how I would characterize it, you know, as the tool sets mm -hmm. have become more apt at, at defining and targeting audience. Um, you know, that's, that's more the approach that I see, I think, being successful is increase your confidence level of who is actually coming to the content. And then you can start to trust you know, some of the really simple measurements, like just, you know, eyeballs on the page and time on page, for example, um, if you have really well qualified, um, you know, traffic coming in. Well, yeah, some of the stuff that we talked about at the beginning about creating that brand alignment, really getting that engagement with the brand, you're doing yourself a bit of a disservice if too engaged with the brand, you're always making them have, have this friction with the form. Mm -hmm. And yet, yeah, if, if you're getting like a 25% conversion rate on your form that's 75 percent of the people who still don't really know what you're about yeah and if you're confident that your content's good then surely you should feel confident to let people consume it as easily as possible without feeling like gating to me is like a con, like a kind of a control freak like, like okay well i i need to get their details so then i that i can send them the, the, the next specific thing right mm -hmm. whereas instead you can 
hand the keys back to the, the buyer and be like, okay, well, this is all of our content. You can bounce around through whatever you want. I'm going to make it completely frictionless and hope and I'm confident that my content is good enough and it's aligned to the right personas, et cetera, that you are going to be, you know, create that you know, brand engagement or brand alignment. You're going to understand the value of our product and we're going to hopefully guide you towards a purchasing decision without having to, put friction in the way and get your details for that to happen and then you have more opportunities if they are looking at all your content to then put up something gated that makes more sense like if they want to sign up for a demo or your Mm -hmm. latest event of course like when people give they know like what makes sense to give up your information if i want to sign up for a webinar or if i want to sign up for an event of course i'm going to follow the form if i'm going to do a demo of course i need to give you your details i'm going to do that and so those are still like you know, supplemental CTAs that you can include on these assets or somewhere across mm-hmm. that journey, but it doesn't have to be on the content that's really educating them. Yeah, I think that makes so much sense. Um, there's there's great ways to follow up with people, you know, if they look at content, even something as simple as retargeting, for example, um, mm-hmm. where, you know, they don't need to be filling out a form. And I think, yeah, if it organically, if it feels right from a prospect's perspective, because it's a webinar, for example, or a demo, um, yeah, that's kind of what forms were built for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah exactly. I, I kind of wonder if, you know, gated content is also in some cases, maybe a, a little bit to do with um, an anxiety that the content isn't great quality. So yeah. it's like, oh boy, you know, they're here. Like we, we can't lose them. And I don't feel that good that they're going to hang around yeah. once they've engaged with the content. So let's, let's catch them while we can. So I think that can be alleviated to some degree, you know, by, putting a focus on on quality, not just on volume. And oh um, yeah, I, I, think, I yeah, that's, couldn't agree with that more. That's key. And that's, again, it's one of those unmeasurable things. Like what does someone really think about your content? Like, yeah, there's some proxy metrics for that, but there aren't really, you know, there's a gray zone there of a bunch of people that aren't going to take a next action immediately once they've read something, but they may have been changed a little in their mindset, you know, or their, their impression of your brand has, has gone up a few points and, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you're not going to be able to measure that. That's, you know, sort of the, the nerve-wracking side of, of marketing is that you measure everything you can and, uh, and then you still have to rely on some good judgment, you know, yeah. to go with the measurement. That's so true. That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Well, I could talk about, I feel like I could talk about this all day, but I we're know. just stealing all of your time uh, today. But <laughs> I, I, have a a couple fo- I feel fun. like we're, we should do a follow-up one, maybe yeah. just on content creation, because I think that's something mm. that um, is something that marketers... Uh, I think all of these things that we're saying is great. And I think the daunting thing from a marketing ops perspective, a demand gen leader perspective is like, but how do I do all this? Like, how, you know, how, how do I actually make this consistent? How do I make this part of my strategy? And I think that's something that we could definitely dive into in uh, hopefully a future You hire podcast. agencies like- Oh yeah, that sounds Yeah, awesome. that's, well, exactly, <laughs> yeah. you can hire an agency. And so, yeah. But, um, but yeah, I think um, this has been so great. I think it echoes mm-hmm. a lot of the themes that we talk about a lot and hearing it from the content marketing expert himself and seeing you know companies who have real value they're getting out of it, I think is, is great, so. Thank you so much for joining. Do you have any final final things you want to cover or final words? Well, I want to say a huge thanks for having me. Uh, I've really enjoyed the conversation and 
definitely agree. You know, if, if you guys didn't stop me, I'd probably just talk about this <laughs> next few yeah. hours until my, my voice gave out. Um, so yeah, thank you again. Um, I, I think I would like to just encourage people to think broadly about, you know, what they might like to do with content that goes beyond the, the familiar, you know, and, and really to take a moment to recognize that it's a little uncomfortable potentially to, to pitch to your team that you want to do something that's not another ebook, you know, on a new topic, or maybe that's not aligned directly with your primary buyer persona, for example, or even that's in a format that's, you know, going to take uh, a little bit of experimentation or, you know, to sort of exercise some, some new muscles in a way. Um, but I would really encourage people, you're probably closer to being able to do a great job at it than you think you are. Totally. And, uh, and so that, that's really what I'd like to, to say to anybody. Yeah. Awesome. Well, great final words for everyone. Hopefully this inspires them and, um, you know, hopefully they, you guys forward on to other people in your marketing team, but yeah, thanks so much for joining yeah, and for everyone you, listening. Babe. We'll see you on the next episode forward. Thanks so much. That was really cool. I really like that one. That was, that was really good.